Hello and welcome to Fan Fuel Episode 3. We're your host Alex Harrington and Nathan Ball, and today we'll discuss NASCAR Speed Weeks because we're in full swing of the NASCAR season. But on the other side of the pond, we're just getting ready to start the countdown for the Formula 1 season as McLaren has just dropped their livery for the 2021 season, and it's the first of the 10 teams for this year. What do you think, Nathan? You know, first of all, um, I see a lot of people saying that it's very similar to last year, and they're not wrong one bit, but... Oh no, I believe to that. To be honest, would be true. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of the livery. I like the McLaren. I like they're going back to their roots with orange, and I hope that they can continue that for a long time because I know that the new management's like really passionate about bringing back their signature color. And orange is probably my favorite color in a race car, and so is blue. So keeping those colors there is going to be big for me in rating it. So let's. Obviously, I rated a little bit higher than most people would on that on on that accord, and the car itself looks good too. There's a lot of changes because of the Mercedes engine integration. Um, it's narrower bodywork, axles a little bit longer. Um, the engine's sitting in a different place in the car compared to the Renault engine, and they're definitely they're doing whatever they can to change it around, like the cooling, the airbox, all that kind of stuff. Like everything that they've done is to integrate the new engine. So there's a lot of like minor changes, but I'm glad that they didn't like do anything too radical. Yeah. So you mentioned that the engine's going to sit differently in the car and stuff like that. Um, is it really beneficial for them? I know they've got a new power plant in there, but is it really beneficial for them to be changing up so much when this 2021 season is kind of a lame duck year? Uh, I, I guess the regulations have been put off for the new regs, but. They've done some different things with the floor uh, aerodynamics and stuff like that, I know. Is it really beneficial for them to kind of change the way that that engine sits in the rear of the car, though? You know, it depends on who you ask. I definitely think that the change is kind of necessary because if they're going from a Renault to a Mercedes, they kind of have to make some alterations as to how the engine is integrated in the car. And the way that they did with the Renault is not going to work with the Mercedes engine. So I, I understand that. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a bad idea to spend a significant amount of time developing this year's car because it's happened in the past before, where a team, I think BMW Sauber back in 08, when the 09 rules were set to come in, they were leading the points or around there, and they decided to completely give up on the season in hopes of building a better car for the 2009 regulations and. Their car, like, they lost the 08 title, obviously, by doing that. And they left the sport not long after that, so it was all for naught. But I don't think McLaren's leaving the sport anytime soon. Yeah, I doubt they would. They've been a long stay, almost as long as Ferrari, if I'm not mistaken. We're both kind of excited for the F1 season. I know you're a little bit more of a fan than I am, but, you know, we're both fans that are passionate about nascar and we're midway through speed weeks we got uh the road course this weekend but we've had plenty of on-track action tuesday through uh sunday this past week uh i guess let's just start right off i mean the clash it was on the road course it was at night uh and to me it was it was surprisingly good oh yeah i definitely agree with that um I went into that race expecting, okay, you know, it's going to be one of two guys that's just going to hog the field and just 
you know, they're just going to run away with it. And oh, yeah. Sure I thought enough, it was going to be a true It didn't end up being that way. Um, obviously, you mentioned earlier, too, Truex spinning from the lead. That was kind of uh, – that kind of opened the race. Like, I mean, that made the race wide open from then on out because I was expecting – he was pulling away like a second a lap at the point when he spun out. So I was really um, – really surprised to see that because after that the race was a lot better i mean i don't mean that in a bad way but i I don't know if that would have happened had he been in the race well um i mean when he spun out he pretty much totaled his car and that was basically the end of his night i mean do we see a vengeance uh returning him on this sunday's race where he comes and clean sweeps i i mean he probably will um, so the reason that he spun though, was, I guess the dirt and mud that had gotten onto the track, which they called a caution for. And they always were talking about on, on TV, the, the leader cleans the track and that's why he wrecked. Um, so they called that caution later. If we see that again, Friday through Sunday, is that something you want to see happen? A, a, another caution being thrown out for that? Or you just want the guys to deal with the ever-changing track conditions you know that's that's a very tough debate for me part of me thinks you know ah, let's 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 really test those guys and that part of me is like well it's kind of unfair to the point where you know so much dirt is being thrown up on the track and it's taking drivers out of the race and it's the same debacle that they had with texas if you or texas last year where harvick hit the wall on like a damp track and it it makes me wonder if whether or not throwing one caution early on if the dirt's a problem would be okay. I mean, I don't think that would be a problem to throw if it's happening early on in the race. Just throw a caution, clean up as much as you can, and then if it starts to happen again, you know, just to say you tried, there's not much you can do beyond that point because, you know, dirt's going to come up eventually. It's not going to go away with how they're driving. And I think making one attempt to clean it up is fine. I don't know if I would – throw a caution every 10 laps for it though yeah well something that i had seen uh suggested which they've done at other racetracks and then of course the roble and the front track chicane was adding the turtle type curves because these these guys they're going to take every inch that they can get and because the curbs on the chicane on the backstretch bus stop aren't really that you know aggressive they're 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 just kind of taking everything that they can, and that's what's leading to them getting to, to the dirt. So I think I would agree with NASCAR installing some temporary turtles back there to to get these guys, you know, off of the dirt and staying on the track. That way we don't have to see the race stopped for something as trivial as dirt on the track because I thought the caution was like, hey, you guys put this stuff there. You got to drive through it. I think that's just another debacle that, that's only – well, I wouldn't say only NASCAR has it. Um, it's happened in F1. At Silverstone had that problem during qualifying last year where cars were driving sort of through the dirt on the exit curb. It never really spun anyone, but it was sort of more of a minor annoyance. Um, I guess the problem that didn't make this a minor annoyance is stock cars are a lot – a lot more sluggish than the F1 car handling-wise, and I think those curbs, I mean, the concrete curbs there are very slippery when they're wet and they're covered in dirt. They're just, 
you know, it's like driving around, especially when they're trying to get back on the throttle as they're on that exit curb, it's going to spin them. And I think, I, I think at some point, there's the dirt. I think the drivers are going to have to, to change the way they take that corner just to avoid all those problems. Yeah. And you could, you could say that they could do that naturally, which I think they could, but apparently these stock car drivers are, are very stubborn. So I don't know. Do you think that something like a harsher curb uh, would help, especially considering there's going to be three races this weekend? I think the harsher curb, it would help to some degree, but I'm just curious as to like what they would do when they get to other tracks that are not NASCAR standard road courses because they pretty much took the Daytona road course and like made it specifically for NASCAR. They added the chicane, they added the curbs on the chicane. They're going to now, now they can potentially add curbs on the backstretch chicane. It's like, I don't know if these cars are really, I mean, if they're really not at what point, is it the car's fault that they're not cut out for it? Is it the drivers or is it just, is it just a mixture? Because I don't, I don't want them to have to completely change every track they go to just to be able to drive on it. I mean, they're, the curbs on the exit being harsh would, would it would do a benefit to the series in the in the road courses, but I don't know. I don't know if they would stop taking the curb because some of the guys took a lot of curb on the front stretch of game anyways. So I think it's it's always going to be up to the drivers. Well, I mean that would prevent the main kind of issue with the dirt by having those curbs, but you know I don't think a lot of the tracks that the Xfinity series has been visiting have really done anything to the tracks other than i can recall montreal when they used to go up to canada to race um to put those curbs in the chicane right there um i i can't uh remember uh any instances maybe at mid ohio or most sport or you know even sonoma and road america that even have any kind of curbs like that the bus stop at Watkins Glen is a similar style corner it's a little bit slower I believe than the one at Daytona but they don't they don't have those massive curbs so I wonder if it's just because of the rain because I don't remember seeing the same issue last year yeah I think part of it has to do with where they get back on the gas I mean obviously Watkins Glen they're not obviously stomping on the throttle um, coming out of the bus stop when they're on those curbs because they have a, you know, they have a complete corner and, you know, not far ahead of that with the carousel or Daytona. It's their goal to get back on the gas as soon as they can. And sometimes that means getting on the gas on the curb and with how, with how that curb is shaped, it's very flat and, it's at the same height as the grass on the mud on the opposite side of it. So I feel like if they're trying to take every bit of that curb that they can, you know, every time they dip a wheel into the dirt, it's just going to make it worse and worse and worse. So to be fair, other than this year, I'm thinking that we're not going to have any more points races there. Um, I'm not sure of the forecasts down there this week. Probably that'd be a better question for you since you live a lot closer to the track than I do. Um, if there's not as much rain this this week, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. Um, 
I don't I don't think we'll be going to that track until the clash next year, and I don't think we'll have another points race there. So it might just be a Daytona road course problem that the Daytona road course really doesn't need to fix if it's only going to be used for a 35-lap exhibition. Right. I, I agree fully. I mean, I don't see any reason to completely neuter the track just for an exhibition race. I, I don't see the points races come back unless – I don't even want to think about this unless they make the Firecracker 400 the road race, in which I'll pitch a fit. I don't even know why you would bring that up, just to have the bad luck of that actually happening. I didn't well, think. Fearful. I think. I've seen the traction that the fans are saying. I would please don't. Just, just don't. We have. We, it's a good event. We don't need to. We don't need to change another one. Okay, so one of the best NASCAR moves in the last couple of years for me was them moving that race from July 4th to the end of the regular season. But then to take a chaotic event at the regular season, the last chance to get into the playoffs, and put it on the road course would be a total joke for me. So I hope that's not ever going to yeah. gain any traction yeah. with anyone other than the fans. Yeah, I don't want any more changes done to that race. I mean, the August change was hard enough for me being in school and family having to work at that time of year. I mean, it definitely makes it harder to attend than, say, 4th of July. And I think, I mean, even with the COVID, I definitely saw the crowd changes with August because a lot of people are, you know, it's 4th of July, and you obviously know where people go to on 4th of July. They go to the beach, and it was kind of built in that there's a beach 10 minutes from the track. So I think that one change was enough for it to survive through. I don't know if the Firecracker 400, as we know it, would be able to make it through another radical change. And I don't want to even try because, you know, we discussed a couple weeks ago about the Bristol dirt and stuff like that that I don't agree with and stuff like that. I I know that you and I both hated the Indy race going to their road course. I'm not trying to have another one of the grandiose events that NASCAR does put on a subpar road course. But, uh... Moving on from kind of technical issues, that race had a really exciting battle. Um, pretty much like you said after after the Truex incident all night between uh, two pretty big fan favorites with the 9 and the 12 car, Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney. Um, what was kind of your favorite part of that? Because for me it was when they went side-by-side side through the kink. I agree with that because... That's extremely hard to do. If you're the car on the inside, you know, you're either going to wash up into somebody, hit him, or you're going to spin out trying to stay off of him. They avoided either one of those things. And I was like, wow, they're really, really, they're really racing hard, but they're racing clean at the same time. Up until the, the final corner, obviously. But I, I was impressed that Elliot willingly tried to stay off of Blaney like that. Even, even in that final corner, you could see that he was prepared to break much later than Blaney, and he even he even braked earlier than he had to just to avoid running into Blaney, and they still came together. So it's just yeah, I guess it was well, unfortunate, but they it was a good race either way. Well, I mean, I know the race was kind of exciting, but I mean, did you feel that it was kind of a rejuvenation of it, being that it was on the road course because um, there had been some changes um, and people were talking about crashes and stuff like that you know, prior to them announcing the road course. Um, and it was 
exciting overall, but did it lose its identity as the clash or, or what's your thoughts on that? Oh man, this is a tough one because um, I think the first misstep that NASCAR did with the clash was after the 2017 was rain delayed to the same day as pole day, they started putting it after, after the qualifying session on Sunday for whatever reason. So that in turn sort of, it sort of made it feel like a test session because having it right after the guys get in their car and qualify, it kind of takes the it takes the energy out of the event. Whereas if you when it used to be on a Saturday night under the lights with nothing, they they almost had nothing to worry about. That was the only thing on their minds was having fun and just getting out of qualifying. I feel like that makes the drivers think about other things and just racing. You know, I hadn't so, thought about it from that point because I believe the rejuvenation of the Clash name itself and putting it after qualifying was because that's what they did to sell tickets for qualifying in, mm -hmm. uh, in the 70s when they started that race. So, you know, it was an iconic event. It kind of kicked off a true speed weeks, you know, unlike what we have really seen in the last couple of years where the momentum of NASCAR really never got going until I want to say this year with the condensed version. Um, but I remember, you know, speed channel has got preseason thunder going on and then they've got all the at track activities. Um, they have the guys come up with the Budweiser, um, tops having the qualifying position from the beer cans. And that was really cool. Um, and then it felt like an actual event, um, and then you kind of had the controversy, um, like you said, when they moved it to pole day, uh, where people were saying everybody's wrecking too much. Um, it's not really that, you know, that fun of an event anymore. And you even had people saying, you know, we should shorten the race to a 25-35 lap shootout. Well, I mean, prior to them putting it on the, on the road course, what was your thoughts about what they needed to do to make it a, an event again? I definitely think moving it back to the Saturday night was a, a key that they're missing because there used to be a package ticket that you can get when you, if you bought a shootout ticket, you would get tickets to the ARCA race as well. And the, having those back to back was always fun for me, at least attending them. Um, ever since I moved it to the daytime, I've never gone back to one. Um, I just didn't see purpose going to a whole pole day, you know, just for, just for a clash that didn't necessarily seem like what I grew up on. Cause I grew up in the era where it was at nighttime. Obviously that was my nostalgia. And I, I definitely think that having a night put a different, completely, di completely different feeling in the race. Um, go back and watch 2016, which was the last shootout on the oval at night. And it was a much better race than the ones we saw in recent years. I don't know what it was, but it, the driver seemed a lot more willing to race. I don't know if it had to do with the package or anything back then um, because I, I think the package was a little bit lackluster than the current Speedway package. Um, but maybe it's because they had more track time and they were just itching to get that off. Um, I don't know that I felt that this year being on the uh, road course, even though it did turn out great. But just because we had a, a somewhat exciting finish, does that mean that this momentum that we had is going to carry on to the future of this race? Or is it something that you think 
should just wither into non-existence if they're not going to run it on the old. I'm not going to say it's going to wither off just yet. I just, I think it's, you got to be careful because it's a race by race thing. Um, you know, we might not be talking about this event in the same light if Truex doesn't crash. You know, maybe he wins by 20 seconds and people say it's boring, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's so much that could change in next year. It, it's so, that track in particular is so, so dependent on variables like cautions and whatnot. Because if, obviously, the, the way the track naturally races is it's spread out most of the time in any series that races on it. Um I definitely think that it depends on the late cautions and stuff like you mentioned. It's that's why I'm saying I guess I don't want to put too much hype into the event just yet because of all the extremes it took to happen for that race to be good in the first place. Yeah, and then I guess the booth guys ending up there with Clint Boyer in the booth, um, they made it more exciting than it probably really was. I don't know um how the fans in the stands thought of it. I mean, it was kind of just um a lull of a race for NASCAR standards, but I feel like road racing standards, it had me on my, on the edge of my seat just because I love road racing, but it's kind of odd to throw a road course before the Daytona 500 when you want to build up the excitement and momentum of the Daytona 500, and I think that's what they did um, right with Speed Weeks having it at night this year. Um, Qualifying was was really cool to see under the lights it kind of got you back into the groove they were interviewing everybody they just had one lap so it wasn't really you know as important uh as it was just a refresher to get kind of back into the groove of nascar um the only thing that i think i would change about the current speed week model going off 2020 is i'd rather them do monday night nascar prime time with the clash Back on the oval, hopefully, probably not going to happen, but I would love for that to be back on the oval. And then Tuesday night, have the ARCA race, and then just continue what they did from there. Uh, I, what I would, think that's what a would great you, idea. Yeah. I mean, that's going to get more people to get longer tickets, at least for camping. Um, and if I was down there, even if I didn't have a camper, I know I'd, I'd get a hotel and go watch racing every single night. Yeah. That's that's definitely the dream for me. Obviously, school, I can't watch every single race, but at least from Thursday onward, I would definitely be there. Yeah, well, you were down there this Thursday. Of course, you didn't go to the track uh, until Friday. The track was pretty hot on Thursday night. Um, The duels were really good. Uh, There's a bit of controversy, though, um, especially with that duel one um, finish. Uh, So... I guess, what were your thoughts on everything that happened? I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter, um, you know, that they were going back and forth about Ty Dillon being, deserving of being in or not based on NASCAR's rules and stuff like that. Um, And then I had even thought, well, you know, at this point, the 500 is the biggest race of the season. Why don't we lock in 43 cars instead of 40? We wouldn't have had this problem. So what are your what are your general thoughts on just the whole Ty Dillon debacle? Oh man, this is gonna be difficult for me because obviously what happened to Ty Dillon is what got Austin Cindric into the five hundred, and we all saw that Austin Cindric did in the five hundred. So 
I'm not necessarily saying that Ty Dillon deserved to miss the race at all. Um, I think that he was just a victim of the rules because he, he finished where he needed to finish on track ahead of another car like Cindric. But because of the way the rules are, he, he missed out to Priest and Cindric. And he's, it's a tricky situation. I'm not for or against the way the duels rules are run. Um, it doesn't it doesn't affect me either way, but I definitely feel for drivers when they miss that race because of how confusing it is. Yeah, I don't know that, that the rules would have been as much of a controversy had people finished a little bit differently in that race. Um, but I'm going to go with the hive mind here and say that that's kind of a dumb way to qualify for the 500. Um, Definitely. Ty Dillon, as far as I'm concerned, raced his way in because even me being the fanatic I am, I thought those guys, you know, with the green backgrounds that Fox was displaying were locked in based on time. So when they say, well, David Reagan raced his way in, I'm like, what? And it goes to Austin Sendrick. Look, I love Austin Sendrick. He's a great guy. He's, you know, he's got, Good family ties with Team Penske. He's going to be around this sport forever. But in my opinion, he didn't race his way into that that 500 spot, so he didn't deserve it. You know, he didn't qualify. Um, he didn't qualify based on time. David Reagan did. So, just for me, despite where David Reagan finishes, he's locked in. So it doesn't matter. The other three guys are battling amongst themselves, in my opinion, to get that spot. Now, Ty Dillon didn't, so we don't know what he could have done. We don't know what would have happened, but Austin Sendrick showed up in that 500, and, and he was right. one of those guys that, that was, were, were that there at cool the end before that big, that big wreck. I'm happy that he did well in the race because, obviously, I guess when it comes to duels and rooting for who gets in, I always try to... If it, I'm not trying to sound bad, but I always try to root for what I think the best car in the Daytona 500 would be, which that's why I was rooting for Austin Sendrick the whole time. And I was worried that he'd miss the race and for that penalty he got. And it was good to see him run well in the 500 because I think that when I watch a duel and I see who has to race their way in, I think which of these guys would actually make an impact in the Daytona 500. And I look at Austin Sendrick during the duels and I was thinking, you know, if he makes the 500, he would have the most likely chance of making an impact on that race because he's in a Penske car. Oh, definitely. Those things are rocket ships. Yeah, I'm, I thought the duel itself, too, was exciting. There was a lot of good racing. It wasn't like the 500 where they ran literally single file until the last lap. They actually got double file for a little bit, and they raced more so than they normally would in the duels. Yeah. Definitely, uh, especially that duel two. Um, they raced their hearts yeah. out in that one, and and I'm gonna put that down as my favorite um, for the for the week. Uh, so far, you know, week one of two speed weeks is done. That's been the best race of speed weeks with duel two. Um, photo finish. You've got you know new team new with the new driver of Bubba Wallace coming in and. He's doing well. That's good for the sport. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, he's going to win. And then all of a sudden, Austin Dillon just comes out there and steals it out of essentially nowhere. I thought that was one of the greatest moves I've seen since we went to this new Speedway package. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed with that because I saw that Wallace 
went up to block there. And you tell, you could tell, like, he didn't just fade up to block. He just yanked the wheel and just flew up the block. And I, I was thinking, you know, he doing that's going to open the door on the bottom for a crossover. And sure enough, it did, you know, because he wasn't able to, with how abrupt he moved, Bubba moved up to the top. He wasn't going to be able to get back down on the bottom in time. Yeah, and Austin took, you know, everything he could out of it and and it got him the win and like i said that was that was some damn good racing um but moving on from that uh what about the trucks i mean we had some storylines going in the trucks you have john hunter nemechek who i talked about a lot in episode one um coming into the series uh and then you had Haley deegan coming into the series did it kind of pan out to be as good of a race as we all thought it would be? I know you were in the stands for this one. Um, I thought it was a very good race. I thought it had a fantastic finish. What did you see? I enjoyed it a lot. I, I agree with you in the sense that it was probably the best race that I saw in the stands all weekend. Um, the finish, I think, was the standout for me, obviously. Another year where you've got guys coming from nowhere on the last lap, like Corey Roper, for example, when he you know, he, he's in a red and white truck, and I, when I saw him pulled out of the bottom at first, I couldn't really tell who it was until I saw his number in, in turn one, and, you know, here's the announcer yelling out, Corey Roper, and I'm like, what? You know, that's Corey Roper? And then when he was going on the backstretch, I was kind of dumbfounded. I'm like, he's really, he's keeping the lead, and, you know, this is, this is a real chance for Roper to win this race, and then, obviously, towards turn three, he got a little too far in front, and, you know, I, the gap started to close for with Rhodes, and I want to say it was Drew Dollar that gave Rhodes a push off of turn four that propelled him past Roper that got him to the outside of him. And then Dollar on back, they all got turned, and Anderson came out of nowhere. If the, if the start finish line was maybe, you know, 200 yards away, he could have won that race. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was a. Uh a tough second second place finish for him uh in trucks at daytona i just remember those last couple laps um my fiance and i were watching the race and we're both yelling at each other like who is this Corey roper guy and 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 then all of a sudden um i i've been a fan of ben rhodes for a while he gets he gets pushed out front front wind and i was elated it was a great finish it was a great race uh, one of my one of my more favorite drivers won, um, and then you know the sweetheart of all fans for the truck series, Jordan Anderson, finished the second. I I, I thought that it couldn't have ended any better, uh, except for you know that three car or Corey Roper coming in and and winning on kind of a Cinderella story, but you know maybe there's next time. Um, as far as as far as getting getting through the week we're 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 in the friday let's go into saturday um you know i watched the arca race myself but i'm assuming you had a little bit more fun than i did watching at the track uh compared to me being at home it was a massive field um i didn't really see much happening is there something that you could tell me to kind of steer me in the right direction to say that this race was was better than i thought it was on tv i mean there wasn't much different on TV or at the track for TV. I mean, it was not really. I thought for sure that that was going to be the worst race of speed weeks, and then the then the five hundred happened, and you know, obviously, I don't think the five hundred was worse, but it just 
the way the package is in ARCA is super speedways. So you literally cannot do anything with the leader. It's crazy. And obviously, yeah. Derek Griffith getting spun out early on. That was interesting because um, a few rows behind me, there was an entire family of people wearing Derek Griffith shirts. And I assumed that that was his family. And they were all like losing their minds. And that was pretty interesting. So that was that was my lasting memory of that race other than Ty Gibbs after the race pretty much he called out like everything about that race like you know this package sucks and the Venerini team orders whoever was in second place didn't want to win that was that was also pretty entertaining yeah well I mean I'm glad we need another person kind of like that so if Ty Gibbs he'll probably rein it in just because of the PR and stuff like that going higher up, but I'm hoping he or somebody else steps up and starts calling out these sanctioning bodies on stuff that they see that's wrong because, like you said, like, you know, he said, you really couldn't do anything all day. It was just kind of a lull of a race. It was it was definitely a, a race, but that's about all I could say about it. Um, at least you had um, people that you could get memories from. Uh, in the stands, even mm-hmm. though they were kind of an unfortunate circumstance for them. Um, those those words shouldn't be taken lightly by ARCA, now on by NASCAR, um, because they've got one more Speedway race this year, and they'll continue probably to do the two each year. No one is really going to ARCA races are on these bigger tracks because they're not the draw. They're usually paired up with a truck or a Xfinity race. So they put on a hell of a show at a 1.5 mile track compared to the other series, but they got to figure that speedway package out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on to Saturday afternoon, the Xfinity series had their first night race for the opener Usually that's their July slash summer race. Um, it was sort of eventful. Um, Austin Sindrick kind of took the field by storm in the later parts of the race. I don't know if it had to do with the attrition or not. Uh, the JRM cars, I think all four of them uh, wrecked out. Uh, but the biggest storyline for Xfinity was kind of qualifying. And Nathan, I know you had something to say about that. Yeah, I'm not really... Uh... I'm not really a big fan of when things like that happen without qualifying. Obviously, I know it was it was rained out and they couldn't do anything about that, but I still think that a lack of qualifying is going to always be detrimental for smaller teams like Jordan Anderson because, you know, if they don't make a certain race, then they, they kind of get forced to miss multiple races, and that's not really what they intend on doing. And the lack of qualifying in practice is kind of – what hurts is that – I think they're trying to phase it out from younger fans because you know that when we were when we were kids, we would put on the Speed Channel and watch Friday practice and pole day like every week on a religious basis. And you know, oh, kids yeah. these days they're probably going to get phased out of that because they're like, you know what, we don't need practice, we don't need qualifying. Whereas kids like us were a little different. It gave us something to watch on Friday nights before the truck race, and obviously. It's sort of, it's starting to take its effect on me because I, I I no longer watch anything besides the truck race on Friday nights because there's nothing to watch. 
Well, yeah, I mean, coming home from school and turning on Speed Channel and seeing them do stuff like Fast Friday for, you know, years of my childhood where they'd they'd have practice sessions, you know, it'd come in and it'd either be happy hour for the push or truck series and then it'd be the qualifying and then and then they'd have the truck race. It was it was great from a TV perspective, but from a a fan's perspective, you know, I'm used to going to Atlanta Motor Speedway and being, you know, accessible to not ever really myself being in the garage, but being right there where the drivers go from their coach lot to the garage, you know, all day the, the drivers are going back and forth because there's multiple practice sessions and that gives fans the ability to, you know, sign autographs and take pictures with their with their favorite drivers and then also it gives a reason for the guys that are camping in the infield a reason to stay more than one or two nights because you know you you pull up thursday night friday morning you've got practice starting at 8 a.m with xfinity or trucks and then you know down the line you've got cup and all this other practice and and it's going to be sad to see it go i hadn't really thought about it the way that you said you know they're trying to phase it out for kids perspective um you know that they're not going to be used to having it so as they slowly phase it out it's not going to be that bad of a a deal for the newer fans because you know i think i've seen lately that kids are trending to be the the biggest growing part of the fandom right now which i think is a great thing um but i guess i don't know how how do you think that's going to affect us going forward from a fan's perspective? Oh, man. I think it's obviously going to change as the kids that are getting into NASCAR now are going to grow up eventually. Um, it's it's Kids are always going to be nostalgic for what they watched when they were a kid. And I think that's the same goes for us with, you know, Speed Channel on Fridays. You know, we would watch happy hour we'd watch fast friday we'd watch the qualifying and then some friday nights if we were lucky we would get a truck race on top of that whereas now the kids that get into nascar today when they grow up they're probably gonna be like oh i love just you know i i when they bring practice back like oh man i really miss when there was no qualifying or no practice you know it, it all depends on when you grew up and what you fondly remember but i hope that they don't completely phase it out. I think, you know, having one one session is like a happy medium, obviously, because I know that the 2018 Brickyard 400, I think that was the race that started all of this talk because everything was rained out and there was no track time, period. And the race ended up being really, really good for Indy standards. It's probably the best Brickyard 400 in years other than, maybe 2017 but the racing was obviously the racing was better than any breakthrough 400 i've ever seen in my life and you know a lot of people attributed that to no track time um and that's i guess that was kind of the unfortunate consequence that that race made everyone think oh we should do no practice everywhere now but then you know people think that it makes the racing unpredictable but as you saw last year eventually the teams are going to adapt to no practice no qualifying and it's going to become just as predictable once teams all figure out how to be fast right out of the gate. Yeah, well, I think um, last year proved that the unpredictability 
it's not really coming from that at all. I mean, you had a seven-win season from Denny Hamlin and a nine-win season from the four-car. At what point was that unpredictable? Um, yeah. The only thing unpredictable that I can remember from last year was the tire popping in a turn one for Denny Hamlin at the Brickyard. I just think that the only thing that was unpredictable is um... – I guess, like you said, some of the teams, like say Kyle Busch, had a little bit of problems getting getting their cars to improve right out of the right off the bat, and tire issues were kind of prevalent with you know teams. They were on a green track, and they they didn't know what tire wear was going to be like. So there wasn't really much unpredictable about the racing, like it like they were hyping up because I, I I think it was crazy that they even thought it would do that anyways because the, the teams are too smart. You're not going to keep them down for that long. Yeah, and, you know, saving money is going to allocate that money elsewhere uh, if 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 they're talking about that. Which kind of leads me into my question to myself this week is, what is NASCAR's end goal here? You know, Jordan Anderson being a fan favorite, you know, maybe on a, a little bit of a smaller scale just because he's a, a truck driver uh, who hasn't won a race yet, but him having that Xfinity team, really boosted my interest in the 2021 Xfinity series. But then again, I'm a diehard NASCAR fan and I'm going to watch anyways. So is NASCAR going to notice a viewer change from, from this? I don't think so. Um, if you have a marginal loss of, of hardcore fans for some guy like that, you know, it's going to be something that's negligible. And it's going to save them money on stuff like payouts because, you know, they don't have to restructure everything like that. Um, and it's going to save teams money because they don't have to prepare different people to get there to qualify and stuff for practice and, and you know, the potential of having a backup car and stuff. And I get all that from an industry point of view. Um, but then also... I'm looking at the Jordan Anderson case and I see that NASCAR's made it to where they're going to qualify at pretty much the new tracks, which gives the Xfinity series, the Daytona race, and then 10 weeks later at the circuit of the Americas. So there's 10 races and then circuit of the Americas, but there's 40 cars on track minus the one race that we just saw of 36. Well, guys that are locked in on points that probably aren't going to be good cars are going to finish in the back, and they were not going to have that many points. So Jordan Anderson is going to be able to save money. He's going to be able to prepare a car for Circuit of the Americas, and if he's a good enough road racer, which you can bounce himself back into the points to be good for the rest of the year, and he saved that money for the first third of the season. Hmm. You know, I never thought about it that way. Um I think that the only good thing about the no practice and qualifying, like you said, is the money. Um, other than that, I don't really see much benefits. Yeah, and I've been trying to figure out, you know, I've been doing mental gymnastics trying to figure out what NASCAR's, you know, end goal in that is, is going to be because with the new season and the new car coming next year, they're talking about bringing practice and qualifying back but they're only talking about it as if it's kind of an afterthought and that doesn't make sense to me because all the stuff which we've discussed prior which is fan interaction with the sport you know whether it be at the track on tv or driver access if you are at the track so 
saving money is great and all, but at the end of the day, if you save all this money, but the fans aren't being engaged constantly and you lose fans, is it going to be a net loss? So I don't know. Uh, is that kind of where you're at on the topic as well? Yeah, I think that I've always thought about it more from a fan's perspective. I know the teams want to save money, but just there's there's a lot more bias for me coming in because I I'm, I am a fan that enjoyed watching them. So when you look on Twitter and stuff, and and people are very aggressive, especially on topics like this. I know you said something about kids growing up uh, in in this era and maybe losing practice and, and, and stuff altogether, you see a, a huge fight between people who are saying, well, you don't know because you aren't in the industry. And then other guys are talking about, well, Formula One and IndyCar and IMSA and all these other guys are having practice and qualifying. Why aren't we? So why do you think fans feel like they have to defend the sport rather than calling out the sport on something that, they think should happen. Oh boy, this is a tough, tough debate. And I I think this is going to aggravate a lot of people what I'm saying, but it happens in every sport. You know how people, people always mistake the fact that being a quote unquote true fan means that you're not allowed to be critical about certain topics, which is, which couldn't be further from the truth for me. Oh no, that's a polar opposite of what, and, you know, and I see a lot of NASCAR fans in particular trying to defend the sport for everything. You know, near that point you see people, I mean, at one point the, the YouTube community used to really be like that. And I could always used to joke. I was like, they, they think they're going to get a job with NASCAR or something by defending this hard. And, and I don't agree. I think that if you're make, being critical of a sport does not mean that you're not a true fan. It means that you're willing to – That it means that you care about it. I think that if you're not willing – I mean, you know, you know the saying that if you love something, then you're going to care about it. And I think that blindly defending the sport is not a good way to – call yourself a true fan oh no not not at all i mean kind of the way that we got to the name of this podcast is is fans fuel discussion about motorsport well if you're constantly defending the powers that be you're not really fueling any sort of innovation or anything towards the growth of the sport and i think people automatically assume that criticizing and complaining are the same thing, but they're really not. Um, complaining week after week about the same thing, but not providing a logical reason behind it or uh, a way to execute a fix to that problem is is not is not constructive at all. But, you know, people like you and I who sit here and debate things or are open to stuff, but say, oh, well, we don't think that's going to work is is different. You know, it's just like we talked about the clash earlier. I didn't think that was going to be worth, you know, my time watching it. But I wound up being really entertained. The same thing with when they came out with stage racing. I thought that idea was absolutely stupid. But here I am enjoying it. But I want to tweak it a little bit. So when I complain about, 
you know, cautions at stage breaks, people say, oh, well, the sport's doing this because they need that, 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 that. And I, and I know that the sport needs to make TV happy or make advertisers happy and stuff like that. But also, you know, ruining a race just based on ad revenue is going to get you less ad revenue because fans are going to start leaving as well. Fueling discussion, I think that fans defending the sport and trying to shut down any constructive criticism is not feeling discussion. I think that they're just they're kind of living with their heads in the sand. I guess at some point you have to be honest. You can't just defend everything single thing. Yeah, and uh, the five hundred had some sort of similar controversy with with Rex and stuff like that. Um, so I want to kind of move on to it and. I want to also discuss something that I saw a big tell on Twitter was, is Speedway racing necessary if we're going to be wrecking so much? I hate wrecking. I love racing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I want the Speedway package to be gone completely. Where are you at on this issue? I agree fully. I love this Super Speedway package right now. And I'm willing to take more wrecks just to keep it. Because if you're looking at it from that standpoint, obviously they're going to wreck a lot in this rules package. It's just the nature of the beast. And I see fans saying, you know, is it time to change? And I, I think no. I think that. You know, these are the fans complaining about too much wrecking are the same ones complaining when it's single file. So it's like you have to, you got to pick your poison. And if you give me a choice, say, would I rather have an entertaining finish with like with 25 cars being taken out or a single file finish with all the cars left at the end? I'm pretty sure I would take the wrecking every time. Yeah, the problem with everything is, is, is there's got to be a happy medium. And, and the funny thing about it is I see all these comments about, this stuff early in the race before, you know, before the end of the rain delay. And then after the rain delay, I I hear what you're talking about, the direct opposite of how pathetic the drivers are because they're not willing to take risks to, to pass uh, near the end of the race because of the freight train that's going on. And then they're the same guys that are complaining that we had the big wreck at the end again. Um, So, the thing is finding the balance, and I think the volatility of this current Speedway package is the reason that we had such a boring Daytona 500. Yeah. I'm not saying that we should change the package because of that, but that is, in my opinion, the direct reason why this 500 was boring. I think it's just the point of, as you said, the teams are getting so smart to where they realize, look, this package creates so much attrition to where we're going to do every single thing we can to avoid that, and I think that's what they did. And they know what the amount of attrition that they would have probably wrecked if they started moving earlier. And I, I think it's a shame that nobody else wanted to move earlier. I was at the track and Hamlin was the only car that was consistently dropping down every few laps, trying to pick someone up. And he got up to eighth place doing that. He picked up four spots. And at that point he realized he gave up and he's like, you know, if no one else is going to move then I can't do anything. And he said he felt like he had yeah, his hands cuffed. And I think that that was the problem. I, I don't agree with their approach trying to do that. I think that it, he said a quote that really sticks with me. And he said that you cannot win the race from 10th on the last lap. And if you're riding in a train like that and you're 10th, you're tail end of a lead draft, 
you can't wait until the last lap and still expect to win the race. You have to go earlier if you want to win. And they, the drivers really, really screwed up that strategy. And it always happens when they wait too long. They don't know what moves to make because they've been racing single final so long. They don't know what to do. So when they do try and make a move, they're going to wreck every time. And it's a real shame that it ended that way. Um, I wish they would have moved maybe five or 10 laps earlier and got a couple lines formed up. You know, I think it would have been a great race. Um, but I guess as I predicted, I said that whoever was in second or third would win the race on the last lap because the top two are going to get to block. And, and sure enough, they did. Um, didn't know it was going to be Michael McDowell, but I knew they were going to wreck. Um, I just, I just wish that the drivers would have been a little more eager. That's that's the only thing that could have fixed that finish. Yeah, I think the fact that there was such a massive crash at the beginning of the race is the reason they didn't want to do that. Um, but we saw with this package that you can have great racing just, you know, on Thursday night, both the duels had great racing while they also had strategy and train racing mixed in and they were really great races. We could have seen that at the end of the 500, but I think, and, and, you know, this could be a really hot take. I think the fact that the manufacturers coordinated tactics you know during pit stops and stuff like that and and it kind of makes me feel like they weren't really gonna let those drivers race at the end of that race because they didn't want to lose more cars than they already did at the beginning of the race all the drivers that they spoke to that were in the top 10 there was only one driver that didn't say anything about his manufacturer's interest and that was denny hamlin he was the only one that talked about wanting to win the race for himself and not his manufacturer Austin Dillon mentioned multiple times that the Fords were trying to make everyone strung out by riding around the top, and they were trying to to thin out the Chevys that were left with Larson, Elliott, and Dillon. And there were four Fords left that were primarily in the mix at the end. And I that's I think the manufacturer orders definitely hurt the racing because they make the drivers think a completely different way than what they're normally used to. And if they're, if manufacturer games are so prevalent to where in the closing lap for the Daytona 500, that they would want to sit in the line like that, the Chevy guys, I thought for sure the Chevy guys would have made their move a little bit earlier to try and get to the front and they didn't. And that was pretty disappointing, and Hamlin was the only driver that mentioned wanting to win the race for himself. Like I don't think he made he I don't think he mentioned his manufacturer at all in his interview, and he, he said that they could have he said that they needed to go earlier, and he felt like that was what kind of killed his chances at winning the race is that they didn't move early enough to win. Yeah, I mean, in his interview in pre race, I know you probably didn't see it sitting at the track. Um... They had him talking with MJ, Bubba, and uh, he basically told Bubba that, hey, if you're in front of me uh, at the end of the race, you know, good luck, essentially, because he's going to dump him. So you know that Denny Hamlin's out there for a trophy. He's not out there for Toyota. Um, and I'll say that with confidence, knowing that there are consequences to that statement if Denny Hamlin were to make it. Um, but... I don't know how NASCAR fixes this because, you know, way back in the tandem days, they had those big radio boxes with the uh, 
different numbers on there. Drivers could swap channels, and they stopped that. But now the manufacturers are having meetings behind closed doors with their team owners, with their crew chiefs, with their spotters, and with their drivers. How is NASCAR going to be able to to prevent that? Because we know that NASCAR's always prided itself on no well, team orders, and yet, you know. Yeah, I don't see any way that's removed. It's not a violation of the hundred percent rule because they're going to argue, say, "Look, this is we're doing a hundred percent of what we need to do to win." And a hundred, a hundred percent does not mean going a hundred percent trying to win does not mean racing all out a hundred percent every lap. It means that you're doing a hundred percent of your efforts are focused on winning, whether it's going slow, riding a train, that that's still considered doing everything you need to do to win, and. I think the hundred percent rule is stupid. I mean, you saw it in F1. They tried to ban team orders for a while and it failed pretty miserably. So they just gave up like, yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to police these guys. And I think, I think that NASCAR, um, if I'm them, I'm putting my foot down on this. Um, I can really write the rule book. However I want, we've seen them do it before. You know, you might be going a hundred percent. I E that Chevy wants to win the race, but, if that causes Austin Dillon to go 95% so that a Chevy and Chase Elliott can win the race, that's, that's right. not okay. I don't agree so with that. The trouble isn't, yeah, the trouble is just going to be policing it. Right. I, I think that's going to be the tough part. If they police no. it so strictly to where they deem that if you're not driving 100% every single lap and you're not doing it right, I don't see any way to police that because I, then I feel like it would encourage a lack of strategy if that makes sense. And I think that would take away part of the race if they weren't allowed to strategize, you know, when they're making their pit stops and where to put themselves for the end of the race. I just think that this race in particular was definitely, definitely an outlier compared to the other super speedway races in this package. Um, I, I just, yeah, well, I wouldn't, I just don't think that this race can be um, can be used in the same context because of how odd it was. I think that the lack of cars left on the lead lap kind of contributed to that because there was no one really if if there were there was only two or three of each manufacturer left except for four Fords and I think that Toyota and Chevy refusing to work with one another at the end that kind of screwed him because Hamlin said that. He was willing to work with any driver, regardless of what manufacturer they were driving. And I was thinking, you know, maybe Hamlin can can get with some of the Chevys and get a second line working. And the Chevys didn't move, so it was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's just based on Chevy said, "Hey, no, don't go with this guy," or not just because he's not got a bow tie on. Or, um, oh yeah, that's where I have True. a problem with it. Um, like you said. Like you said, getting onto an off-pit road, that's okay. You know, of course, Toyota's going to be lacking in there because they've only got five cars on track. Uh, they would have had six with Ty Dillon, but, of course, that didn't shake out. But, you know, I know that they're trying to expand going forward, so that will help, but they know where they're at in there. So going into pit road with all the Fords is probably better for the race itself because – yeah, sometimes it can cause problems like it did in the Xfinity race. But also, you've got less people on pit road, which is safer for the crew members. Um, and 
you know, they're all coordinated, so nobody's going to be surprised when somebody pulls off of turn four to go to, to go pit. So in some ways, I, I think it makes the racing a little bit better and safer, but not pulling out at the end to win the Daytona 500? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Like, we, we saw how the 2013 Daytona 500 went when it was a 100% train race, and we've spent the past seven years perfecting a speedway package so that we have exciting racing that the drivers feel they have control of, and you guys just sit there with it? Oh, come no, on. It's that, that's not, not good for anybody. Not the fans. Not I, the sport, I think not that that hurt because the teams and the drivers I, I saw ford or chevy chevy i think in particular said that if you help a ford then we can like deduct your simulator time and stuff like that i'm like are you kidding me like you're gonna penalize your driver for trying to win himself i mean that's i mean that's awesome in every way shape and form and i just think that these strategies yeah, it's finally biting the manufacturers in the tail because they they, they their team games finally failed this week with waiting too long and then spectacularly failing on the last lap. I think they, they've got to realize eventually that, look, maybe, maybe what we're doing by trying to ensure a team win might actually hurt our chances of winning because when you're trying to collectively work as a team, that might not always be as good than just letting a driver, that one of your cars go up and get it because look at Toyota, you know, when you see, them all work collectively together usually they don't win as much as when they just turn Hamlin loose at the end of the race and he wins himself like you have a better chance of winning that race than some manufacturers if you just let your best super speedway driver go out and try to win yeah and I think that's probably why we got what we did with the finish of the race um and it's kind of interesting because you know the Fords all get up there and you've got two of the Penske guys up there the two Penske guys, um, in fact, that are aggressive in speedway races, especially Joey Logano, and then McDowell decides he's going to give them a big push, and, and they're doing, you know, their standard trying to block each other so that they win the race, and, you know, McDowell kind of took them out, which I thought was funny because they kind of got what they were looking for. Um, but it, it, the wrong Ford car. Right. I, I think it, that was hilarious know. personally, because I remember sitting in the stands and turning over somebody. I was like, look, we're going to finish this race. If he's in the lead last night, he's not going to finish this race based on how he blocks. And, you know, sure enough, I don't think a gal meant for the contact to happen. He was given his last get pushed because he knew that if the top two can get to, to get contangled, then he could win the race. So his job was to give Kozlowski as much momentum as he could. And I think that the bumpers at the backstretch didn't line up because toward the end of the backstretch, Kozlowski pulled down the bottom to make a pass on Logano. And when he pulled down like that, McDowell stayed in a straight line instead of following Kozlowski. He stayed straight. And that's probably when their bumpers didn't line up at some point. Yeah, and uh, kind of along the lines of that first big wreck where uh, C. Bell and, and Kyle Busch were lined up and turned on Marola in front of the whole field. That's kind yeah. of a bit of yeah. just super speedway racing. I don't directly say that McDowell was the cause, even though he was the cause. As yeah, in, and I think he wasn't really was like a, I think Kevin was I mean, getting sandwiched in the sense that he had McDowell giving him a huge push from behind. And while that was happening, 
Logano was trying to block him, so there was like he was getting sandwiched, and it was not going to end well. Yeah, and uh, I want to say that you and I talked about it on the first episode when our twenty twenty one predictions that McDowell was going to be someone that we were looking forward to to get in a surprise win at a road course because he could be good at a road course because of his past experience. He could be good with rain racing because of his past experience. And then, you know what? Mm-hmm. He, he shut us both up this weekend with getting a win at the 500 and being the first car locked into the playoffs. But I don't want to, I don't want to say it's a surprise win because honestly in a front row car on a speedway and your name being Michael McDowell, it's, it's not really surprising. It just, yeah, I was really surprised at, at how everything played out. Um, well, not how everything played out. I was just surprised at him finally having the luck to win one of his races. I think that he was always good enough. Just a matter of luck. And, oh, boy, you need to – you know how you were talking about those sausage curbs? Yeah. Guess what NASCAR's installing at the exit of the bus stops? They are They are doing that. Yeah, yeah. I've seen okay. pictures from Hamlin himself. That's what they're doing oh. to remedy the dirt. They're not – necessarily changing the curbs to the point of uh destroying them they're just they're just adding the sausages at the very ends of the curbs well look at that mid recording session i guess they were listening in on us yeah decided they i were think they were everything yeah that was pretty wow. cool um but well, anyways back to the topic <laughs> i guess anyways back to Papa mcdowell um yeah i'm not surprised that he finally got a win i knew that if he had enough luck, he could easily win a super speedway or even a road course. So that was pretty cool. Um, I'm very happy for him. I just, I think it's pretty interesting how it turned out, but at the same time, I'm not surprised because I've, I've been on record on this podcast saying that whoever was in third or fourth on the last lap was going to win the 500 and he was in third. So it ended up coming true. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've seen the, the front row cars get wins at speedways in the Gen 6 era. So we knew that was always going to be a possibility. Um, McDowell's always kind of been there. Um, even if in, in his, in his LFR days, he's always just kind of been there and kind of being there is good on some of these tracks where attrition is high. Um, you saw it with Justin Haley, uh, winning the rain shortened race. Um, you know, Ryan Blaney, winning at the Robles the first year and then even you know Kyle Busch this past week with the with the clash I mean if you put yourself in those situations time and time again eventually luck's going to go your way so having someone who's been a decent speedway racer his whole career it was not if more than it was when and you know, luck finally paid him his dues, um, and he got that win. And I think it was good for everybody. Um, I personally, uh, every time I go on a road trip, I stop at a Loves because they've been in the sport with him for so long. I just stop every time because they're just such a part of a big part of NASCAR. And to see them in Victory Lane had me had me pretty uh, pretty happy um, myself. I don't know if you have any kind of personal connections to sponsors like that but um i thought it was pretty cool for for the brand itself that had been sponsoring them for so long to finally get in victory lane too yeah i think it's kind of cool and i thought that the 
the correlation of it on Valentine's Day was really interesting. Um, like, you know how it went, like, love's car wins on Valentine's Day. Like, you couldn't have gotten me better than that, could you? No, not really. And um, and it, it was kind of funny when I saw that on Twitter. I didn't even make the correlation myself when it happened. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll see some new merch or something at these love travel stops they just built one down the road from from my house so i'll have to be popping in every now and then to check um but the one last thing i kind of wanted to talk about with with the daytona 500 was you and i picked uh some some drivers and i know mine got swept up in that first crash i believe yours did too i picked Derek jones uh, and you picked Chris Busher. Um, so, I mean, how far were we off on picking for five for this 500? Uh, yeah, I'm not happy about that. I could have won some money if Busher won the race. And, of course, he gets taken out early. This is just how it goes. Uh, it kind of sucked to see that. I think that the, I think the early wreck kind of sucked a lot of energy out of that race because of that there were so many cars that could have won that race that didn't even get a chance yeah and for me seeing that armor off scheme you know i was i was raving about it ever since it came out and then you know it got to do 15 laps and then it was over so it was kind of just i guess it took the wind out of my sails per se um but you know even speaking of that some of these guys managed to finish the race. I know I saw a tweet from Tyler Reddick saying he did, he did 185 laps and his car was total junk. Yeah. So I guess there was some good to come out of that, but really it was just kind of a, a mayor race overall. But, you know, moving forward, we've got the rest of Speed Weeks and – it's going to be on the road course. Uh, the commercial they kept playing throughout the Daytona 500 for it was pretty awesome. And then the logo was kind of retro, kind of reminded me of of old days of um, the broadcasting package and stuff from races that I used to watch with my, my dad on tape and stuff like that. I don't know. I just kind of got like have a throwback feel from the logo even though we're not going to a throwback race. Um, but, yeah, so the road course is is this weekend, and we've got three races on it um, instead of just one like we have with the Clash. But one of them is going to be at night, and that's going to be the trucks at night. So as far as I know, still no practice for the trucks. They raced there last year with Cup. We just found out there's going to be some sausage curbs. Um, what are you looking forward to for night racing on the road course in pickup trucks. I feel like it's going to be so the quality of road racers in that series is so like such a mixed bag to where I feel like, I feel like it's just going to be, there's going to be a few guys that are like more competent than everyone else. And they're going to run away with it. Sort of like we saw last year with Moffat and Creed were like kind of the standout guys. I think that it depends this year. I'm not sure. Uh, how good everybody else is on the road courses. I think that the usual guys that are good in the trucks will be good. Um, 
to a degree, I think some of the younger drivers that are a little more experienced, like Moff and Creed, are very good on the road courses. So I think that they're gonna they're gonna shine. Um, I think it's kind of gonna be a wake up call for the other kids in the trucks. They're like, oh boy, we really gotta get good at road racing now. I think the only person other than everybody that raced there last year with with a little bit of experience under their belt is gonna be Haley Deegan because she ran that that uh, Continental Tire or BMW Challenge race um with chase briscoe a a year or two ago um but you mentioned sheldon creed and for me him being a former stadium super trucks guy and and having a lot of road course experience albeit in a totally different style car i think is going to lend his hand to getting getting the win under the lights on friday um, and I can kind of segue into the Xfinity race. We've got a lot of guys that we know have good road course um, stature in that series, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I guess, who do you have? I mean, that's all I can ask. For um, for both the Xfinity and Cup? Uh, no, yeah. just oh. let's, let's stick okay. with Xfinity yeah, right It's, it's got to be like a no-banger for me. I think Austin Sindrick is the guy um, – Daytona Road Course has a lot of straight line, uh, straight line speed matter, and I think that him in a Penske car is probably going to be able to outdrive a poly car on the oval portions of the track. So in Allmendinger, so I think it's going to be another step on uh, Austin Cindric's potential path to ten victories this year, which I think is definitely attainable for him. So I'm going with Cindric. Yeah, no, I uh, I totally agree with you being that Austin Cindric's going to be the one to beat. But I also agree with you that his biggest rival for that race is going to be A.J. Allmendinger. And, you know, I'm going to stick with A.J. Allmendinger because if any of the positive regression fans are listening also to us, you know that the age 39 season is is typically a driver's best season. So I'm, I'm wanting him to show out and keep Austin Cindric on his toes this year. Uh being that he's going to be moving the cup. So I'm, I'm hoping that yep. they'll have a and good rivalry and, like uh, that. On the note of picks, now that we're done with Xfinity, we should move into the Cup Series picks. And since Eric Jones last week, which was your pick, finished 39th, and my pick, Chris Buescher, finished 31st, I believe, that gives me the first pick for this week's event. And I don't mean to break your heart here, but I want Martin Truex Jr. I think that based on how strong he was last August before the penalty and how strong he was in the clash before pretty much everything went wrong for him. I think that provided no chicanery, no pun intended, goes on, I think he could he could easily have the premier car. And he's obviously one of the best road course drivers anyway, so I'm going with him. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, you're picking some really low-hanging fruit there. Uh I mean, the guy just got a, a heads up from NASCAR that he's not going to spin into the, the wall right before turn four of the oval track either and, and junk his car. So I think he'll probably be pretty aggressive again in that backhand chicane. Uh, well, if you're going to go big, I think I got to go big too. So my guy's going to be Chase Elliott. I mean, had he not had the incident on the front chicane with – Blaney, I think he would have won for a second time at this track. So I'm thinking um, he's going to do two for two for points-paying races. 
I think he's going to probably have a commanding lead, just like Truex did before he wrecked in the clash. And yeah, I just, I'm going to have to go with the nine. So uh, we'll have to look at it next week and see. Yeah, well, of course, I hope my pick wins over years, but overall, I'm sure both of us would rather see a a knockout drag out race at the end uh, compared to uh, a whole, right, right, you know, ass whooping if you were like like we both probably think is going to happen just because of the racetrack. Um, but I guess that's about it. That's about all we got for episode number three of fan fuel thank you guys for listening um be sure to follow us on twitter at fan fuel podcast one and leave us a comment stating you know who your picks are for this road course race anything that you want us to touch on in future episodes don't forget to uh let us know over there on twitter uh also um be looking for us uh hopefully on avenues uh, such as Google and Apple Music as soon as episode four. Um, so we'll be looking to hear from you shortly, and we'll be ready to interact with we'll you as week. soon as possible. Thanks.